0: Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. What is making me happy this week? Uh so a couple of months ago I was on a podcast and one of the questions that was asked was what is my favorite smell or scent? Um And my answer is that I really love the smell of almond extract. Um, And I had mentioned in that interview that there was like some soap. I don't know what the brand is, but occasionally it'll like be in a restaurant, bathrooms. And I'm just like, I love this smell so much. I wish that I knew what it was. Um, Well, thanks to Bethany Finger, who has been a previous guest on this podcast. And she is the host of the Prince Kai Fan Pod She emailed to let me know about Avita's Almond Cherry Shampoo and Conditioner, and I got myself some, and it smells so good, and every time I wash my hair now, I feel super, super pampered and special, and it is truly, like, my favorite smell in the world, Uh, so thank you, Bethany. I love it. It's a small, silly thing, but... Those are sometimes the biggest things. Of course, I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She holds a BA in creative writing from San Francisco State University, and her debut YA novel, The Bone Spindle, came out earlier this month. Please welcome Leslie Vetter. Hi, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. I am so delighted to have you and get to talk about Fairy tales, this really super, super fun fairy tale retelling. I can't wait to tell people about it. Oh, thank you. Um, just to start, congratulations. I know the book has been out for a little while now. How's it going? How are you feeling? It's been so exciting. This was my debut book, so I had no idea what to expect. And
1: I'm kind of shy and kind of an introvert. So I don't think I've ever talked to so many people online, ever. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Did you, so, I mean, I know COVID is still a thing. Were you able to do like any in-person events or has it been all virtual?
1: I was able to do an in-person launch with another author who debuted on the same day, actually Meg Long and Cold the Night Fast the Wolves. So that was amazing to have another author there to chat with.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that really takes the pressure off.
1: It does. And she was amazing and like was able to lead the conversation and like throw me a rope when I got (laughs) in
0: trouble. So nice. Um, so to get started, one question that I start with for every interview is I would like to know your author origin story. How did you get here to having your debut novel just published? Ooh, that's
1: a really good one. Um, It's a little cliche, but I was definitely one of those kids that always wanted to be a writer. I loved books so much as a kid. My dad would actually read aloud to my sister and I every night before bed. And I remember loving like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and fantasy just carried me away. And honestly, what I fell in love with the most was characters And so long after I had finished a book or was supposed to be in bed and sleeping, I would just lie there dreaming up more adventures for these characters to go on. Like I never wanted it to end. So you can imagine how excited I was when I found out that I was not the only person who did this. And there was this thing called fan fiction that existed where people had gone on and all my favorite characters had adventured on and in fact changed genres and fallen in love with all sorts of people. And so I would say fan fiction was sort of this wonderful moment for me for finding out everything that writing and characters could be. And so... I was a fan fiction writer, and um, actually, to take an aside here, I, I met my wife in high school, and we used to write fan fiction to each other <gasps> all the way back Aww. in high school.
0: <laughs> and I so, uh, love that.
1: When I uh, started writing my own original work, I wanted to take all that love I had for fan fiction and characters and put it into my original stories, too. And so like many authors, I have many projects that I didn't finish, many half done, many projects that didn't go the distance, but sort of things finally came together for the Bonespin. And I could just feel that I had the characters of my heart and like the story I really wanted to tell. And that is ultimately the book that uh, I debuted with.
0: I relate so much to everything you just said. I feel like we are clearly kindred spirits. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also was like really into the fantasy and used to lie awake dreaming about things. And I also wrote fan fiction and yeah, we could be best friends. What fan fiction did you write? What fandom? You know, I was an anime fan, like hugely in high
1: school. And so definitely like all the big ones, like Sailor Moon, Gundam Wing, Naruto, And then like on the side, there was definitely like some Xena and some Voyager going on too.
0: (laughs) I love Leslie. I was also into anime. Sailor Moon was my jam. We could have been running in the same circles and we don't even know. Right. I do think about that, that like some of the fan fiction online, like
1: because everyone has a different name, might be some author I know now.
0: Yeah, right. No, it's I mean, doing these interviews and asking this question there are so many published professional writers who got their start in fan fiction. And I think for a long time, people were a little embarrassed to say that, but now it's become so common that we're all just like, oh, you wrote fan fiction, me too. Um, And I, I think that's really encouraging for aspiring writers to hear. Like it is absolutely a stepping stone to becoming a professional writer if you choose it to be. Oh,
1: yeah. It taught me so much. I mean, especially for a while there, I really did think of fan fiction writing as totally separate from like, I don't know, serious writing. But honestly, when I thought that way, I found that my serious writing was like, quite honestly, sometimes it even bored me mm-hmm. like that was bringing too much like weight to it. And I was like, no, all the things that I love about fan fiction should totally be the things that I bring to the writing I'm doing from else. They're not separate at all. So like, definitely you, you've got to learn how to do some of the, the world building and the characters, you know, when you do original work, but I think fan fiction is a great way to learn how to, how to write what you love.
0: Yeah, no, you're so right. And I, that's so funny. I just had a, an Instagram live this morning and we were talking about um, like bringing joy to writing and finding joy in your writing. And obviously the happy writer podcast, like this is part of my brand. Like, I just think it's really important for people to find joy in this thing that we do and that we spend so much of our time doing. And I think that's a really important part of the process, at least for me, um, and I had never really made the connection to fan fiction, but just listening to you talk about it, it's like you're right. like I got my start writing these stories that was for pure joy. like there was no pressure at all. It was just something that I love to do. and now I'm wondering how much like that has now carried into why I just find writing to be so much fun, even to this day. Oh I do. I love that. How do you think that, fan fiction and writing fan fiction impacted, not just like your, your style and your voice and your craft, but on like a career level or like how you face writing professionally, do you think that writing fan fiction, um, had much to do with that? You know,
1: I think that like all writing is writing that teaches you something. And so, you know, whether you sort of start in fan fiction or short stories, or you know, even just trying out that that first book. I feel like there's some things you can only learn by doing. And so a lot of the fan fiction that I wrote, even though it was much like you said, just purely for joy, I think taught me about like scene and pacing and dialogue. And so I think when I did start those original projects, I sort of had this foot in the door of figuring out what kind of writing, you know, was worked for action scenes and what kind of writing worked for the characters I love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, like so on board with everything you're saying. Um, and I really, like, I distinctly remember when I first started, um, querying agents with my first novel, Cinder, I remember being worried that like my writing style would seem amateurish compared to other writers, um, because I did come from this fan fiction background and I knew that, so that had influenced my voice so much. Um, but now in hindsight, I think that it was nothing but a, a pro. Um, and that readers like clearly really responded to that. I mean, absolutely because some of the things that I love about fan fiction
1: are some of the the voice that that can bring and the kinds of characters that bring. And so I love seeing that
0: in books too. Yeah. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Yay, fan fiction. Um, okay. I feel like we could talk about that all day, but let's not, (laughs) let's talk about your debut novel, the bone spindle. Would you please tell listeners, what is this book about? Absolutely. The Bone Spindle
1: is a gender-flipped sleeping beauty meets Indiana Jones starring two girl treasure hunters. There's Fee, a bookish, no-nonsense historian who does not believe in destiny or true love, and Shane, a queer, axe-wielding mercenary who does what she wants and makes enemies everywhere she goes. Uh, The two of them team up for one job, which ends up becoming much more than they bargained for when Fee pricks her finger on the bone spindle and they awaken the spirit of the sleeping prince, Briar Rose. Now she's stuck with him until they can break the curse on his kingdom.
0: Okay. So when your publicist sent the pitch for your book, um, and the, the subject was like, you know, podcast request, uh, gender swapped sleeping beauty meets Indiana Jones. And like, I could not say yes fast enough (laughs) (laughs) reply. Yes. I would like to read this book and have this book on my podcast. Um, I loved it. You've hit like so many things that I just find super, super fun as a reader. Um, so I try to avoid asking the question, where did the idea come from? Cause that's like such a cliche thing, um, for people to ask to writers, but every now and then there's a book that I sort of wish I had had the idea. And this <laughs> is one of those. So I want to know where did the idea for this come from? Yes. So there are really two main
1: inspirations for this book. And one is I do love fairy tale retellings and like fairy tale mashups are some of my favorite. And I've always really loved Sleeping Beauty. But rather than like Sleeping Beauty for herself, I think I've always just loved the vibes of Sleeping Beauty, like the forest of thorns, the spindle, the single drop of blood. There was just something very magical and very exciting to me about that sort of backdrop. And I was thinking about like Briar Rose being asleep for 100 years and maybe actually sleeping that entire time, and how that would sort of make him a relic, you know, and just something that was lost to history. And that is when I definitely had this idea of treasure hunters and Indiana Jones. And so I am very much a fan of, like, Indiana Jones, The Mummy, Tomb Robber. And so I also think of this book as my love letter to, like, those big action-adventure movies that are almost like one long chase scene from start to finish. And so the these two ideas like colliding was really where the bone spindle was born.
0: <laughs> yes. I loved it. I loved that, you know, you open with this very kind of tale esque prologue, which feels a little bit like, oh, okay. It's a Sleeping Beauty retelling. I've heard this story before, but then you launch us immediately into this, like, we're going treasure hunting into this Tomb, or I can't remember exactly what it was in those opening chapters, but and suddenly there's booby traps and there's magic, and I'm like, I am so in for it. This is the coolest thing I've read in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many times did you watch Indiana Jones or National Treasure or like some of those <laughs> action adventure movies to like get into the vibe of this book? Like, is that something that you were? watching while you were writing this to try to draw from, to really capture that vibe of those movies? Or did you just have it in your head because you were already such a fan
1: you know, I was already such a fan that I, I think I did rewatch like the mummy movies because I really love the love story in those ones, too. a mm-hmm. um, librarian. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So I, I did. But I I really just had these uh, movies like sort of deep down in me somewhere, you know, like definitely if that Indiana Jones theme plays like, Wow there's some musical cue in me somewhere that brings like that whole movie rushing up from just a few notes of that song. And so I think I really wanted to to capture that with these these girl treasure hunters and give them that chance to have like that that fierceness and also have that fun that I remember from those movies.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I love it. And I do think that the genre is missing out on more female treasure hunters. Um, So I really enjoyed seeing that. Um, I have myself kind of like one of my secret side projects that I haven't actually sold yet, um, also has kind of Indiana Jones vibes to Mm. it. And I was really surprised when I started working on this project, how hard it is coming up with, uh, puzzles and booby traps and things that don't feel like we've already seen it a million times, um, How did you go about doing that? Because I felt like you tackled it really well. Absolutely. Actually, that was one of the harder things
1: when I first started writing this book, I thought that the traps would be much easier uh, to write because I had seen all these movies, but I quickly realized that like writing a trap is so much different when seeing one and mm-hmm. having a visual medium to work with. And so actually one of the things that I did when I was thinking about the traps in the bone spindle was I positioned Fee more like a detective. I really thought about the way I love how detectives can work in books. And so each trap I took on as sort of a mini puzzle that would have like red herrings and misdirects and fee would be like a detective of ancient ruins with all of these different like foreshadowed elements and like get to the end and solve it
0: the way a detective does. I love that approach. Was it I mean talk me through a little bit more because I agree that so many of these these booby trap type elements Um, we are familiar with because of the movie media, uh, and it is hard capturing that in the written word. Like, so once you had kind of established, uh, what the actual puzzle was going to be and what were some of the clues that Fee was going to come across and how she was going to solve it, um, like, how did you then go about actually putting that down on the page? If if that's not too oh. <laughs> confusing of a question to answer. No, definitely. Um, so one of the
1: things about the puzzles when I was like coming up with them is um, there's basically a scene uh, somewhat near the beginning where they're entering into this old manor house, and there are you know some different puzzles, and one of them involves a room that has different keys you have to choose from in statues, and one of the things that went into the writing of this, like, was a moment where you're going to have to choose the right key is I have two points of view in this book. And so there's Fee, who, like I said, is sort of the brain, and Shane, who's sort of the brawn. And so I tried to sometimes use the different point of views, like Shane, who's, you know, not so familiar with these traps. I went ahead and came from her point of view so that she would have kind of no idea what was going on when we went into this room and less of an idea of what might be the best way to get through this trap and kind of be a surrogate for the audience to see, you know, how Fee went about solving this instead of needing to be inside of Fee's head the entire time, which I thought... That might be a little difficult. And so Mm. I really enjoyed having two different points of view in this book to sort of be able to hide some information and reveal some information at different points. And I think that really helps me with keeping the traps dynamic.
0: Yeah, no, that's such an interesting point. Um, And I will say, even as you you bring up that scene with the, the keys and the four statues, like I feel like I watched that scene in a movie. Like I, I feel like I've seen it, not just read it. Um, so that, that must mean that you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. Um, so let's talk about more about your two main characters, Fee and Shane. Um, I couldn't help feel like as I was reading this book, if this book, if the bone spindle had come out 10 years ago, you and I would have been on all the same panels at all of the writing conferences and the book festivals. Cause I was always getting put on the fairy tale panels and the quote strong female characters panels, um, which is like anybody wanted to talk about in 2012. <laughs> but you know, I kind of say that tongue in cheek, you know, strong female characters, but at the same time, you do have two wonderfully different, unique, and complex heroines, um, you know, kind of spearheading this story. So talk to me a little bit about where these characters came from and what was your approach to developing them? Yeah. So one of the things I thought about right from the beginning
1: was I knew I wanted a pair of girl partners. And so some of my favorite kinds of partners are those partners who like you know, can't even stand each other at the beginning, knock heads a bunch, and then by the end, they would die for each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, definitely the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Jack and Daniel, if you're a Stargate fan. And so I knew I wanted them to be like, have these big, rough around the edges personalities and be like total opposites. And so I would say I kind of came up with their characters at the same time. And I was thinking a lot about their interactions when I came up with them. And so, you know, Fee is definitely the sort sort of more Indiana Jones character, and that character did always have, like, this side of bookishness, but I really wanted to take that bookishness and, and push it up, because I think I've always just been a book lover, and whether it's, like, Belle or, you know, the character from The Mummy, I've always loved the librarians and the bookish characters so much. and then you know, Shane, in order to be the opposite of that, I wanted her to just be able to let loose and be this character who was unapologetically herself at every moment, just like stomping around the book and doing whatever <laughs> she wanted.
0: No, absolutely. And they play off of each other so well. And I really love when we can have multiple female characters in a book that are, you know, powerful and empowering characters, but for totally different reasons, you know. And and to show that, you know, there was an era in which like the Katniss character was—that's what we think of as strong girls, strong females. Um, and then there was the Hermione era, and you know, that's a strong female character. Um, but I love when we can show that there's so many different types of strength. There's so many different ways that. You know girls can be strong and they should all be embraced and all be credited for what they are.
1: I do love that too. And I do love it when because you're right sometimes it feels like we get stuck in one archetype at a time <laughs> instead of being able to like have a whole mosaic of different characters with different flaws and different strengths playing off each other.
0: Yeah. Um at the same time even though, you know, you could easily say, okay, so Fee is the, the bookish, you know, kind of nerdy intellectual one. And, you know, Shane is the, all the brawn and the muscle, but that's totally not all that they are. Like you really did develop them into characters that have lots of really interesting layers. And the more that we get to know them, just the more and more authentic they become. So what was, like, what were you thinking about as you were developing them to kind of Uh, stay away from these cliches that they so easily could have become.
1: Yeah, for me, for these two characters, it was about developing their backstories and their flaws and making sure that they had these backstories that really made sense and made them who they are. They both have a past, very different reasons that they're leaving behind. And I think that those flaws that they have really help connect them to each other and really help the readers connect to them, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that part of character development, it's so important to be able to show flaws in a character. Um, I know like one of the, the biggest pet peeves for me is when you come across a character who just seems so annoyingly perfect. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. definitely. <laughs> and you when you've kind of already hi- touched on it a little bit, this idea that you know, you have these kind of like three different relationships developing over the course of the story. Um, Both of these girls, Fee and Shane, have a love interest. So we've got two kind of parallel romance subplots. um, And I'd love to talk about that here in a second. But I think my favorite relationship was the relationship between Fee and Shane um, and how you know, even though it's, it's a a friendship and a platonic relationship. I mean, they do just come to care for each other so much. And I think that that's something that we need so much more of in, in literature and in young adult literature. And I just loved them. I loved seeing them together. Oh, thank you. And I could not agree more, especially when
1: I was a teen, like friendships were really some of the most important relationships of my life. And so I really, really enjoyed getting to center that friendship in this book.
0: Do you think that, so between writing romance and writing friendship, what are the similarities and what are the differences? How do you go about tackling each one? that's a good question um i would say for
1: me like when i think of romances i sort of think of romance like as a big push pull you know that like when when feelings are developing and when characters are developing feelings for each other you know sometimes those feelings bring them closer together and sometimes those feelings push them further apart and i think that's true of a friendship too but i think with a friendship uh, unlike with the romances one of my favorite things is that like even when There's a little bit of pushback in a friendship. It's okay to knock heads a lot more, you know? And so when it comes to the the friendships becoming closer, unlike the romances, I really like the the way that these two characters can get under each other's skin in the best way and sort of like drag each other into being better people, (laughs) whether
0: they want to or not. Oh, that's a fun way to think about it. And I think that that's so realistic. I mean, if you think of just like your best friends in real life, They are the ones who drag you into being a better person. So then going back to writing romance, we've got um, this very kind of saucy romance between Shane and red, this thief that she keeps bumping into. Um, And then we've got this more kind of dramatic, fairy tale based romance between fee and briar rose prince briar rose um and i loved both of them i particularly loved how different these two budding relationships are um my first question is obviously you're doing a a retelling of the story of sleeping beauty one would normally expect there to be the relationship of course between Sleeping Beauty and the prince or princess or treasure hunter coming to save them. Um, but you decided to throw in this additional romance for Shane. Why? Why? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah. Yeah. I really loved the
1: idea of having two relationships. that could sort of be foils for each other in the book, the same way that the, the main girl treasure hunters are foils for each other. But um, I'll also admit that in the very earliest drafts of this book, Red did not have as big of a part, but I had so much fun with her and Shane. Like Red is very much like a femme fatale who, you know, swans in and out mysteriously and She and Shane just had this electric connection when I wrote them. And so she ended up with such a bigger part in this book, mostly because I kind of fell in love with
0: her too. Well, I am so glad to hear that. I also love Red and I love what she does to Shane and how Shane is like, so, you know, strong and brave and courageous. And then as soon as Red walks in the door, she's just like, oh, she's so dreamy.
1: (laughs) It's totally one of those moments where it, like it is absolutely somebody you know you should not fall for. and so it is totally gonna happen. You're lost. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tell me about writing these two different romances. Was it hard to balance them both in one book? Um, and was it difficult to like keep each of them interesting and unique in its own way? or because like, they're such different relationships. Yeah.
1: So I think that making them very different relationships was, you know, a little easier because Shane and Fee are just such different people that they would just fall for such different people that like the sort of skeptic romantic vibes that Fee has going on with the prince and the absolute like uh, as you put it like saucy fiery relationship that Shane is doing are very different but I I do think I did struggle balancing them for a long time you know there's a lot packed into this book with all the treasure hunting and a lot of action scenes and so sometimes I kind of had to, to crack open the manuscript and make a little space for each of them to have time with their, their significant others with the love stories instead of just being like partners cracking each other up and trying to get the last word the whole time.
0: Yeah, no, I totally know what you're saying. and And I agree that it can be really hard sometimes to find space for the romance when you're just like constantly you're on a quest and you're going into tombs and you're running for your life and you know but I also like as a reader I get so much joy out of those little moments where the characters you know start to admit these feelings or really start to come to terms with wow this person is actually becoming really important to me and there's such a, an important moment in the story and for the the character development
1: yeah I mean, to go back to something we were saying earlier, I do think that's that's one of the things I love the most too. and I do think that that's one of those areas where that that fan fiction background really does serve me and is part of it is like those feelings are sometimes something that fan fiction goes into explore in depth. and the chance to like have i think of them as like quiet moments where characters are you know meeting in a softer way
0: is just one of my absolute favorite kinds of love mm-hmm. scenes. yeah. Um, So on that note, I'd love to hear more about your conceptualization of the prince, Prince Briar Rose, who is such an interesting character. And to my mind, I mean, he's kind of um, he stands apart from the rest of the characters, you know, literally and figuratively in this story. He is physically trapped away in this castle, this tower. They're trying to reach him. And yet we also, you know, get these wonderful moments of his kind of like ghost-like spirit, almost haunting Fee and like following her around and just provides for a lot of wonderful moments between the two of them. How did you go about creating him and making him just so dynamic and yet so different from what we normally think of as the Sleeping Beauty character?
1: Oh, thank you. Um Yes. So one of the first questions that I sort of asked myself when I was doing a Sleeping Beauty retelling was, you know, how I wanted to bring in the Sleeping Beauty character, the prince in this case, because I knew for sure I didn't want him sleeping the whole time because that would make for a terrible love story. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I really based Briar Rose a little more off of the, you know, Aurora, off of like the idea of a princess. And I was thinking, you know, what would it be like to sort of have this tragic figure who was destined to sleep for 100 years and sort of lose his entire past, lose his entire family and wake up 100 years later and be waiting to be rescued? And so I think some of the, the pieces that I loved bringing in the most for Briar were if you were really stuck in a tower for hundred years, I think you would have this, this desire and this curiosity to get out there in the world and to see things and to experience things. And that was one of the, the parts of Briar Rose I had the most fun bringing in because uh, he's really a sweet character mm-hmm. and he really is a dreamer too.
0: No, he is. He is super charming. And yeah, a dreamer is a perfect way to describe him. Um, and I love how he plays off of Fee, who is so pragmatic and, you know, you know, intelligent and like very. I'm gonna think things through, and he's just like, "But we're meant to be. It's <laughs> destiny." <laughs> <laughs> um, so that actually brings me around to a question, because doing fairy tale retellings myself, I get asked all the time, you know, what is the process? that I go through once I've decided, okay, I'm going to retell this particular fairy tale. How do you decide what to keep from that fairy tale? How do you decide what to change and how much do you change it? Um, And how do you take a story that's been told and told and retold a billion times and yet still make it feel kind of new and fresh? Um, So I get asked that all the time and I'm going to throw it back to you. What were the steps you went through with this? retelling? Yeah. So like I said, I really love the vibes
1: of Sleeping Beauty. That's like one of the things that like, that's just the feeling of Sleeping Beauty and like that forest of thorns. And so I think where I start with the fairy tale is I think of like a few of the central things that I absolutely want to keep. And so for me, that was, you know, the sleeping prince, um, not an entire spinning wheel, but the spindle itself, the curse you know, that forest of thorns. And so once I had these like base pieces, I started building what made sense for the characters. So then I had like the treasure hunters and I thought about like, do I want to have fairies in this world? And it really felt like fairies did not quite fit in this world, that that was um, a little too lighthearted for the world of the bone spindle. And so I still wanted magic. And so magic became the purview of witches in this world. And so I think for me, I think of it sort of like a chain that once you have a few first links in the chain, you can just Start connecting more and more of them to sort of build the world around those those few initial concepts that you love.
0: Now, I like that image of the chain. Um, And I I know what you're saying. You kind of start with a couple of decisions like, okay, I'm going to change this detail. And before you know it, that detail grows into another detail and that grows into a plot twist and that grows into a subplot. And that's kind of, they just kind of build off of themselves. I do. I absolutely feel like at some
1: point it becomes dominoes. You know, once you have enough of them set up, they start knocking each other over. Yeah.
0: No, I I love that. Um, My last question before we move on to our bonus round, do you have other fairy tales that you think you're going to tackle at some point? Oh, definitely. I mean, I love fairy tale
1: retellings so much that, you know, especially love gender flipped fairy tale retellings. And so, some things that again, without any spoilers, that I've played with is I love the Robin Hood one. I know mm. I'm like a sucker for every Robin Hood story ever written. I mean, yes. I definitely love Cinderella. I love. Oh, I mean, I definitely. I'm gonna do more fairy tale retellings. <laughs>
0: I am happy to hear that. And I also am a big fan of the gender swapping. Um, I'm good friends with Lish McBride, whose um, curses came out last year. And it's a gender swap, Beauty and the Beast. And I'm like, this is just so brilliant. I love it. Um, All right. Are you ready for our bonus round? Definitely. Tea or coffee?
1: Coffee. So much. (laughs) Cake or pie? Ooh, I think cake.
0: What is your favorite writing snack?
1: I think I'm going to go back to coffee.
0: (laughs) Grimm Brothers or
1: Disney? Ooh, I'm going to pick the Grimm Brothers. Would
0: you rather be a princess or a treasure hunter?
1: Treasure hunter.
0: Battle axe or magic spells? I want both, but I'm (laughs)
1: thinking like probably magic spells is better for me.
0: (laughs) What is your personal mantra? Wow. I think this
1: one's a little odd, but one of the the personal mantras that I use to tell myself that, you know, everything is, is good and everything is all right. Is that like, you can always edit everything.
0: Mm -hmm. What is the first thing that you ever wrote? (sighs) Oh,
1: So all the way back in like second grade, I wrote a book about a princess being stolen by a dragon. And I think I still have it full of crayon drawings somewhere. <laughs> I love that. That actually
0: sounds like a really great story. That sounds way better than the first story I wrote. What was it? <laughs> oh, I wrote one about a little girl named Rosie who falls into a rose bush and like meets a bunch of magical rose creatures okay but that's like actually really imaginative yeah I don't know oh maybe I guess I guess it's kind of (laughs) Alice in Wonderland-ish which you know I feel like both of our stories they really just like set the tone for everything that was to come (laughs) right there's definitely a theme there (laughs) yes what book makes you happy
1: Oh, I have two answers here. One of my all-time favorite books is Dealing with Dragons by Patricia C. Reed. And every time I reread that, it makes me smile. It's such a great mashup of fairy tales. Um, and then recently I had that book launch. And the other book that I launched with is Cold the Night, Fast the Wolves. And it is phenomenal. It is an Iditarod race meets Mad Max if it all took place on the ice planet of Hoss. And it is as
0: awesome as it sounds. Huh, that sounds incredible. What are you working on next?
1: Uh, So The Bone Spindle is a trilogy. So I am currently working on editing book two, which has more romance and more traps and more snarking for Fee and
0: Shane. Yay, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lastly, where can people find you? Um, so my website is just leslievetter.com and it has like all my socials and everything. And if you want to see adorable pictures of my cats, that would definitely be Instagram, which is at leslie.vetter.
0: Awesome. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I was so nervous for you. I'm sorry. You kind of cut out there. I heard I was so nervous and then nothing. Oh, no, I'm saying I was so nervous, but you were so great. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's funny. I'm like, I'm sorry. Could you compliment me again? (laughs) Uh, Readers, be sure to check out The Bone Spindle. It is available now. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org/shop/marissa Meyer. Next week I will be talking to our very first memoir author, Nancy Balberer, author of Almost Romance, just in time for Valentine's Day. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, And whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.